right, all right, all right, doggone it. Welcome to the Cavish Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine just a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavis. And I'm Chris Cervello. Coming up, Congress has begun its annual series of Navy budget hearings. The Navy continues to grapple with suicides among the crew of the carrier USS George Washington, and CNO Gilday made some interesting comments at an appearance this week. We'll take a closer look. But first, a quick roundup of naval news around the world. Marine Corps Lieutenant General Karsten Heckel told Congress this week that when the commander of U.S. European Command in mid-February asked the Kearsarge Amphibious Ready Group to deploy early, the ships were unable to do so due to their maintenance status. Marines of the 22nd Marine Expeditionary Unit were ready to go, but it was another month before the assault ship Kearsarge and amphibious transport dock Arlington deployed on March 16th, while the third ship in the group, the dock landing ship Gunston Hall, left a week later on March 28th. Heckel, the Deputy Commandant for Combat Development and Integration, told the Senate Sea Power Subcommittee that the group should have been on station and available for the combatant commander tasking, and it was not. Heckel related the incident in support of the Marines' requested force level of 31 large amphibious ships. Speaking of the Marines, the Marines declared initial operating capability for the new CH-53K heavy lift helicopter on April 22nd. Built by Sikorsky and Lockheed Martin, the 53K King Stallion is intended to replace earlier versions of the long-serving H-53 Helos. The aircraft is intended to enter full-rate production in 2023, with the Marines aiming to buy a total of 200 of the big helicopters. In the United Kingdom, a keel ceremony was held October 26 for the Royal Navy's first Type 31 frigate, the future HMS Venture. Five Type 31s are currently planned to be built, all in a new Babcock production facility near Rosseth Dockyard in Scotland. In war news, the British Ministry of Defense noted on April 28th that about 20 Russian Navy vessels, including submarines, remain operational in the Black Sea. MOD added that the Bosphorus Strait, the only passage in and out of the Black Sea, remains closed to all non-Turkish warships, rendering Russia unable to replace the sunken cruiser Moskva. Russia has two other cruisers of the same class, and both remain operational in the Mediterranean, but blocked from entering the Black Sea. Most of the, of the major Russian naval units in the Mediterranean have been alongside the port, I'm sorry, alongside in the port of Tartus in Syria or anchored offshore. In the Pacific, the U.S. destroyer Samson made a Taiwan Strait transit on April 26th, keeping up the roughly roughly once-a-month pace maintained by the U.S. Navy and partner nations since 2018. China, as it always does after a U.S. transit of the Strait, condemned the move and said it deliberately undermines the peace and stability of the Taiwan Strait. The Taiwanese government, however, called the passage, quote, normal. And that's a quick look at some of this week's naval news. As we said at the top, there were a lot of developments this week on the U.S. Navy front. Um, of course, the, the budget season has now gotten underway with the submission last month, almost a month ago, of the fiscal 23 uh, defense budget. Uh, these are now service-specific hearings that are already started, uh, even as the Pentagon-wide uh, hearings will also be taking place. So this week before the Senate our, uh, Armed Services um, Sea Power Subcommittee, um, Fred Stephanie, who is performing the uh, the duties of 
Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Research, Development, and Acquisition, and Vice Admiral Scott Kahn, the Deputy CNO for Warfighting Requirements, or N9, uh, testified. Uh, they faced a number of questions, and of course, what this, uh, what these really do, what these hearings can do, and in, in many parts, is to simply indicate where in this vast budget um, are we, are, is uh, Congress likely to focus on, and uh, where's where's the churn, so to speak, going to uh, go, going to be? Chris, uh, you watched some of these hearings. Uh, what, what were some of your takeaways? The first takeaway, Chris, was that um, I, I think this is a terrible idea doing these um, hearings prior to yes. um, the the CNO and the commandant and the secretary going over. Yeah. Um, I, I think having the posture hearing um, would have been more helpful uh, to the Navy and to the Department of Navy. Um, and I think would have been more helpful to Congress. Um, this seems a little um, incongruent. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what it really does in terms of advancing the ball. And in fact, I, I think it probably separates the two sides even further um, than they maybe already were. Um, that's number one. Number two, you can tell that the Navy really didn't do a ton of preparation with the Hill prior to releasing the 30 year shipbuilding plan and releasing the budget. Right. right. I mean, there's always that level of political theater, no matter how much preparation is done, but I actually felt like Congress, uh, and in this case, the Senate was asking questions that they probably should have been informed about that. They probably should have been brought up to speed on. So it was less of the political type question or less of the hobby horse type question and more of the, Hey, I really need you to explain this to me, um, which I never think is, is good. And the, the third is, and this is disappointing on the side of the Hill, the Hill is not going to save the Navy. I mean, there was, there was a hope that, you know, maybe the Hill would sort of force the Navy to do the right thing. I think they're asking the right questions, but I think um, when all is said and done, they're going to put back the things that matter to their district rather than force the Navy to create um, or provide a holistic naval plan for now and into the future. I know that's a little pessimistic, but that that's what my fear is. Well, of course, you know, this, I'm I, I'm shocked to find out that uh, the Congress creators want to support their their uh, district. I mean that kind of parochialism is part and parcel of the whole point of sending representatives to Congress. They're always they're always interested in bringing home the bacon. Um, but 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 you're right. It's um, you know the 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 incredibly hierarchical military, and at the top, it's 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 that's obvious with uh, with titles and positions. Uh, you've got this thing all backwards right now. It should it should be the the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs testify on the big picture. Then it goes down to the Service Chiefs. Then you start drilling down to the head of acquisition and requirements. And um, this is this is just backwards. And it's been going on for some years. It's only continuing. It puts everybody in a bad position. And uh, even even for the for, for uh, Congress, they're often not sure what. What should I ask of these people in front of me? It's my first crack at these folks. I want to start my own theme, but is this the right level to be doing that at? And um, not that everybody worries too much about those niceties anymore, but um, it would it would be nice if this was um, somewhat more coherent. That said, you know there are some trends that that, that have come out uh, even already. It was interesting that um, Maisie Hirono, the chairman of the Senate uh, committee. Um, pretty much reflected a, a sense of Congress that they would like to see three destroyers per year, not two um, for, for uh, 15 in the fit up. 
that's that that's a that's a pretty big leap of course the people they were talking to they're asking about are not the people who make that kind of those kinds of decisions but um that was interesting that that came up um the people the congress is still somewhat confused about the you know the the three options the navy put in their budget um sort of a you know here here's here's where we are today here's where we'd be if we had a little bit more money here's where we'd be if we had a lot more money so everybody wants to seize on this so would you would you tell me that that option one is not as capable as option three and they said well yes that would be true so hmm, okay as if that's something terribly profound it's not um that's that's that kind of came with the as a as, as an admission with, with the submission but um there were there were other areas that um, I mean, did you pay? Did you hear much about um, the aviation side in this, Chris? Um, I, you know, not nearly as much as I would like to have, have heard. I mean, um, you know, the uh, the aviation plan does note that the NGAD, you, you know, what they're you know, the, which is going to be a family of systems, right? It could be manned, it could be unmanned, it could be some combination. You know, it, it, yeah. it mentions that it will replace the Super Hornet Block Two. Um, as they reach the end of their life in, in the 2030s. But I, I would like to see and hear more about the FAXX. And I would like to hear more about NGAD and, um, you know, the, the family of systems. And uh, I, I, so much is, is, has been placed on hulls and, and, you know, on kind of the 30 year shipbuilding plan. But I think that you really need to um, kind of take all of this together um, and maybe some of that will come out when the, um, when the service chiefs go over. But um, I, I think that not only do we need to dig deep into that 30 year shipbuilding plan, but that master aviation plan needs to get the same level of attention and scrutiny, um, you know, because it's going to be extremely important, I think, in deterring conflict, uh, you know, if not actually waging war, uh, should that come. And of course, it's not going to get the same level of scrutiny because the NGAD, Next Generation Air Dominance Fighter, by the way, the Air Force and the Navy are developing their own separate and distinct systems, both known as NGAD. So if you're confused, you won't be alone. But those, uh, those figures are classified. So we'll never know. Um, people make reference to them, talk about how the R&D effort jumps dramatically, even in the course of this fiscal year defense plan, uh, I'm sorry, future year defense plan, but um, we don't know what those numbers are. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a level of obfuscation that I think is probably um, overdone. I'm not, I'm not sure we really needed all that. By the way, also mum tea. Mum's the word, no, mum tea is the word. Get used to that one. Manned, unmanned teaming, M-U-M hyphen T. Somebody got a Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal for that. Isn't now, that good? For that acronym. So, so for all of you hearing that, we're, you know, no, they're talking about this new mum tea. What? I'm sorry. That's what that is. Manned, unmanned teaming. Make, make, make a note, kids. Um, <laughs> I do have one one prediction on on ships. I, I think the I think the Navy's request to decommission nine Latrol combat ships, like their request to decommission three of the four last year, is probably going to be denied. And right. um, there are there's great interest now in uh, buying you know, in running the mission sets as well than the as well as the ships themselves. 
uh, Congress is getting pretty deep into this. I just don't think that's going to fly. But well, we you know this all remains to be seen. All right, moving on away Chris, from before Congress. you be, oh. before you pivot, I would just want to give one other observation. I am still, um, I, I guess, shell shocked that we have an acting uh, ASN RDNA uh, yeah. at, at this point in the game. Um, you know, that, that would have been my fourth observation. I mean, to not, nothing against, um, you know, the honorable Steffi, but, um, I, I just don't, uh, right. I just don't get how we, uh, don't have an, uh, you know, a confirmed ASN RDNA and it, it, to me, that speaks to sort of the, the whole problem is, you know, not really taking the job nor the portfolio very serious. So I just wanted to say that before we yeah, move no. on. No, you no, I, I I could not agree more. Um, there is no excuse for that. This is one of the most important positions in the entire Department of the Navy. It drives virtually every single acquisition program. It's a very important job. It's been held by some very capable people in the past. And at the moment, again, no, no dig on Mr. Stephanie, but performing the duties of is just not gonna gonna do it. And I it's it's too bad we don't hear uh, Secretary Del Toro. Uh, talk more about the need to fix that now, fix it fast. That, that's his department. And it's not the CNO's department. That's the secretariat. And that's a, that is a, that folks is a big deal. All right, moving on. Um, so we have the, the aircraft carrier, George Washington is down at Newport News Shipbuilding. It's been, uh, been there for four and a half years now. Um, it was what nominally was a three-year um refueling and uh, refueling overhaul rcoh and this is something that most of the carriers go through it's a major rebuilding period um it's gone on much longer than the previous recos because number one covid which slowed things down and also the, the material condition of the ship was tougher i think than most people anticipated so unusually now for the first time ever there are two carriers and at the same time in Newport News, uh, the, the John C. Stennis is already pretty much torn apart. She's the next one, even before the, uh, the Washington is finished. But something really disturbing has been going on with the George Washington. We've had 10 members of the crew in the past 10 months have died. Um, a number of them confirmed to have been suicides. And it's a situation that has uh, attracted the attention of certainly Congress, the, major, the, the Pentagon's top leadership, uh, not just to mention the, uh, the, the, uh, crews, uh, the crew of the USS George Washington. And this week, Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, Russell Smith, went down to the ship to, um, to talk to him. Um, some of his comments um, got, got some scrutiny, let's say. Uh, what did you make of uh, the McPons talk down there, Chris? So I think it's hard to um, look at senior leader comments, you know, in isolation or, you know, from a transcript, right? Um, I, um, I, I know uh, Mick Pond uh, Smith. Um, I know the sort of the way he carries himself and, and the approach that he has. Um, I, I felt like he was pretty honest with the sailors on board George Washington. I, I thought, you know, reading and then sort of the anecdotal uh, evidence, I thought he showed the appropriate level of empathy, but I thought he was honest with the sailors. And he told them that, that that's tough duty. And, and, and it is. I, I've never been through an RCOH, but when I was on an aircraft carrier, I did two PIAs or PIAs, depending on what coast you're on. Um, you know, the Land longer incremental availability. Right. Uh, time in the yards. It's hard. 
um, absolutely more fun, um, more rewarding to be underway, to be doing stuff than it is to be tearing down and rebuilding a ship. And, and so life can be really hard. Newport News uh, Shipyard is not the greatest place to work uh, or um, or live. Um, I mean, it's, it's just a fact. And that's to say nothing against well, you know, HII. No, it, to be, it just, I mean, to, to be fair, it's not the shipyard itself. It's just right. there aren't there aren't the facilities there for sailors right. that yes. exist right across the other side of the Hampton Roads at Norfolk Naval Base. It's just not there. You can't walk off the pier or, or even walk off the yard, or walk out of the shipyard and, and have a lot of those support facilities. They're just not there. You're right. Mick Pond Smith, I, I, I thought his, his comments were, were fine. If not, you know, on the good side, I, I thought they were important. The bigger issue is, is the Navy has to get its arms around this. It has to figure out um, how to better prepare and better care for sailors undertaking this type of duty. These types of trends are not new. I, I mean, the, uh, the deaths and the suicides are, are on the extreme side, but stress and uh, mental anguish while ships are in the yards is, is not new, especially sort of with a, this younger generation. Right. And, and so the Navy has been working this hard, but they've got to continue to get their arms around it. They've got to figure out how to use data and preventive health to identify um, these situations before they manifest in suicide and, and deaths. I mean, th this is not going to go away, especially as the fleet ages, especially as we run it hard. So they, they've got to not only take care of their ships, but they've got to take care of their people, um, you know, while they're doing that. You're, you're right. And, you know, I mean, some people thought he didn't show them the amount of compassion he should have shown. Um, you know, a lot of people took it as he was just telling them to suck it up. It's tough, you know, but um but again, he was, I think he was trying to be straightforward and honest with them. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm no different than uh, I think just about everybody listening and that over the years, I've certainly known quite a number of people who have taken their own lives. And frankly, it's a, it's, it's a very individual thing. Lumping them all together um, is probably, that, that doesn't really work. Every person that I've known for many, many years um, who did this was their very own specific situation and sometimes you could see it coming and sometimes not at all and um it's it, it is it's a very tough topic but there's no simple solution and i think you know any anybody taking it head on in a situation like that probably isn't going to make everybody happy i think that's 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 that that's, that's going to be a given so it's sort of um at, at least at least he's talking talking about it at least at least the navy's not shying shying away from it so moving on from the MCPON, the, the top enlisted uh, person in the Navy, to the top officer in the Navy, the Chief of Naval Inf of Operations, Admiral Mike Gilday, appeared on a CSIS USNI um, talk this week with uh, hosted by Pete Daly, the head of the Naval Institute. Um, and, and it was, uh, you know, you, as, as usually happens with uh, CNO, a lot of this stuff we've heard before, but but he also kind of tends to drop out a few things um, that you weren't expecting. Uh, one of the areas was in unmanned. Um, sort of interesting. He he let he let out that uh, forty one thousand total unmanned miles have been now uh, performed by four different ships, uh, four different Navy ships. 
Uh, that's that is a number that uh, has not been made public before. Uh, a lot of those transits that that includes unmanned vessel transits from uh, uh, from the uh, from Florida through the Panama Canal, although they were manned in the canal itself, to uh, Southern California, from Southern California to Pearl Harbor, um, from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to Norfolk. They have uh, that's a that's a lot. Forty one thousand nautical miles of experience. Um, trying to figure out how to operate these things, what kind of um, navigational issues do you have, what kind of reliability issues are there. Um, that's, that's, that's not a bad number. That's a new number. What was the surprise was the way he talked about the medium US fee, the medium unmanned service vessel. This is uh, still something that is not hardcore defined. But uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the service vessel, unmanned service vessels the Navy has today are either, either pretty small, or this medium-sized um, vessel, or a large LUSV, which it, at different points has been intended even to take uh, vertical launch systems and launch missiles. Um, the MUSV is the only current um, large USV program that is a that, that, that is a program of record, um, and the fiscal 23 budget actually triples the uh, MUSV R&D request, research and development. Um, L3 Harris is already building a uh, prototype MUSV. But it was sort of odd that his, uh, his support for the entire idea was, uh, uh, seemed to be pretty lukewarm all of a sudden. He said he wasn't really sure about the need for MUSV. Um, did you pick up on this, Chris? I, I did pick up on this and um, I, I was left um, wondering about the Navy's, I, I guess, success rate with the whole unmanned uh, effort. Um, and I, 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 you know, I, I appreciate the CNO's candor. Um, Admiral Gilday is very good at these types of events. I mean, he, he comes off as sincere. Um, he's honest. He answers questions. He doesn't, you know, dodge. Um, he, as you said, he sprinkles in nuggets of news, um, probably more than, than most in the Navy when they do these types of events. Um, but in his, uh, candor and honesty, again, I was left with a few questions about the unmanned program. I, I, I don't understand that why after 15 years, the Navy hasn't made significant progress. Um, you know, the, I guess the best answer that I can come up with is because the unmanned problem is a, a multi-domain problem. We haven't had the success like we've had at other sort of key moments in naval history. You know, people think about like the Rickover age, they think of Moffat, they think of Dahlgren, you know, th those were sort of single community, single, um, um, you know, single domain type problems that, uh, and, and they, they had a cheerleader for, and I don't know that you've really seen, um, you know, that, that same attention given to unmanned, um, you really haven't seen a scientific method driven plan, right. you know, which makes me lead, you know, kind of leaves me feeling that the Navy doesn't understand what it wants from, from unmanned. So do, does it want an unmanned fleet that supplements the manned fleet? Does it want unmanned vessels that do the job of, of um, the manned vessels? Does it want to get to a point where everything is, or the majority is unmanned? And then, you know, you have things that supplement that. It's just not clear. And then all of the technology that goes along with it. So it's just not clear where the Navy um, is on this. Uh, two other things, and, and I'm going to squawk about this sort of in, in a bigger picture. 
that number that he threw out that 45,000 total unmanned miles. I mean, that, that is an impressive number. Um, and you know, I mean, that type of work, um, really does help the Navy get the guidance control and maneuver sort of the, how do we operate the, you know, that's the hardware side of this, that, that really helps with that as, as they figure out, you know, they talked about how they follow the coal regs, you know, the rules of the road, how do they do basic seamanship with these types of platforms? Um, that that's one side of the problem. The other side of the problem, which the CNO was clearly not as enthused about, and in fact said he's he's not really that comfortable with, is the mission side. Um, and you know that's really where you need the creativity, um, and you know that's really where they need to let industry work their way through it, and maybe focus less, not maybe absolutely focus less on the hardware and more on the software of the types of missions that they want to do. Figure that out first. And then pair it with with the hardware, so they they may have this a little backwards, Chris. Yeah, they might. Well, you are going to squawk about this, so uh, a little more about this and that in just a couple of minutes. Uh, one more thing, I do want to get in before we before we move on. Um, uh, props to Pete Daly for bringing up one of my pet peeves about the Navy, and that is the really poor appearance of a number of Navy surface warships. Um, this is something that is, it's a, it's a recent manifestation. The Navy never used to look this bad. Um, it's certainly not every ship. It's, um, there are individual examples, frankly, uh, some ships look great. Um, some ships keep them up pretty well, but there are many ships and more in the Atlantic fleet, it seems in the Pacific, but the Pacific has its share, but of ships that just look, they look terrible. They look God awful. Um, I was down in Norfolk um, just a couple weeks ago and saw two destroyers, the Nitsi and the Truxton. Um, just awful. And the Navy, you know, people used to say, well, it's because the, the, the um, op tempo, tempo of operations is just so high. Crews can't, don't have time to do this stuff. Oh, please. Um, the Nitsi hasn't deployed since 2019. The, the Truxton hasn't deployed since 2020. They've had plenty of time to do this. Um, Pete Daly asked the CNO about it on the rusty appearance of the U.S. Navy warships. And the CNO said, appearance is important. You've got to look sharp. We are the world's premier Navy. You've got to look like it. And the chain of command ought to be listening. Well, that's nice. Um, he is the chain of command. He's a SWO, right. service warfare officer. Um, I know in the past there have been some dictums that have gone out. Um, on the waterfront to, to have a little more care in what you look like, but everybody looks, lo looks a little beat up when you're out. I mean, I mean, uh, when you're out operating, the sea is not a forgiving environment. Um, rust never sleeps. If you run, you're going to, you're going to, you're, you're going to look like it, but the level to where some of these ships get is just incredibly amazing. And it's just, it, you know, when, when you hear, Oh, ships couldn't get underway to meet an emergent requirement because their level of maintenance was poor you got to wonder, okay, are you taking care of your ships? And believe me, a lot of these people say, well, you know, they, they come back from a deployment looking like they've been out. That's true. But a lot of these ships leave, say goodbye, looking like crap. And um, it's, it's, it's no surprise when they, when they come back, when, when they just look terrible all the time. Anyway. Well, when, when you and others point this out, I kind of feel like the flag war room you know, points towards the O5 CEOs of these ships and, and really hangs this on them. And it, it becomes their problem to solve. If the CNO was really worried about this, he would fix it. 
And, yep. and the fact that he hasn't fixed it tells me that he's not worried about it. Sadly, that, that is true. I will say one thing about, and you and I talked about this earlier, and that, you know, I mean, nobody likes painting. Chipping paint is, is, a, is a job nobody likes to do. I did a lot of it when I was a young guy. I mean, frankly, and I, no, I don't do that much of it anymore. But um, there was a time, I got, my first job was on an Air Force base, and I learned that old proverb right away. But if it, you know, what if it walks, salute it. If it moves, police it. If it doesn't, paint it paint it and uh we were expect when that when things were slow and not much was happening you were expected to go in the back and pull out a can of paint and touch everything up um but i do sort of wonder why why don't the major fleet concentration areas have a have a, a paint unit a bunch of contractors somebody um you know with some cherry pickers and things and they come off and, and they'll, they'll they'll show up on your ship for this week um two, three days, five days, and paint your ship. Why not? Um, it is a maintenance issue. Rust needs to be taken care of. Um, you don't want it. And um, I, I, it's, it's kind of an idea that I, I really, now that I think about it, why don't you do that? If you, if you don't want, if you got too many CNOs who are afraid to ask their, 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 their crews to take care of this, that's, that, I, I think that's true. I'm sorry. I think that's true. Um, why don't you just have a unit? Why doesn't somebody somewhere come up with something like that? Anyway, that's just me. That's my own squawk. So, but um, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. 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 Now. Thank you. Thank you. All right. It's that's because it is time for the squawk box. And right now, Mr. Savello has questions about the U.S. Navy's basic focus in developing unmanned service vessels. I do have questions, Chris. If you paid close attention to the CNO's remarks on unmanned surface vessels yesterday, it wasn't just the medium-sized USV that he seemed to question. To me, it was the whole approach to how the Navy, industry, and Congress are attacking this problem. Admiral Gilday is right to be skeptical. He all but told us that this isn't a hardware problem. It's a software problem, a data problem. And so that's where the Navy, industry, and Congress should focus their efforts. Expecting warfighters and hardware primes to define requirements or missions before you understand the software realm of the possible is incomplete at best. As CNO mentioned, the work being done by Admiral Brad Cooper and Combined Task Force 59 in, in the Arabian Gulf is laudable. They're working the as is, or the how do I use unmanned to make the manned fleet a more lethal and more effective part of the problem. But in order to really move forward, it has to be attacked in multiple time horizons. There must be an effort looking well into the future that assumed no manned capability and then works backwards. So if you're working it from the today part in Fifth Fleet, you've got to work it in the, the future part somewhere else. These converging efforts must be data-driven to inform the creation of software which can then advance the thinking on hardware requirements, specs, and numbers. In short, the current approach is a bit bass-ackwards, and it's likely wasting time and resources the Navy, industry, and Congress don't have. It's time to re-wicker, to be more collaborative and more data-driven. This is not a problem the Navy can solve by itself. It must recognize the need or be forced to ask for help. Continuing to look for a newer, shinier rock either in the form of strategy or a, a new piece of technology just isn't cutting it. And folks, that does it for this week. 
As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Moradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. Be sure to follow us at Cavus Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>